You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Mel. I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across Australia to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Mel, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the data space. Today, I'm joined by Ruth Santangelo, the Director of Data, Digital, and Automation at Optus, Ricky McAllister, the Head of Engineering at Shift, Sohan Domingo, the Head of Innovation at Fujitsu, and Vishal Shakla, the Head of Data Management and Governance at Westpac. And we're here to discuss how to create a healthy culture. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Ricky, do you want to kick us off? Thank you, Mel. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Ricky McAllister, currently the Head of Engineering at Shift, where we provide finance on demand and credit solutions that have been built from the ground up to suit Australian businesses. I've been a, a software engineer or involved in software engineering for a couple of decades now. Um, but these days, I'm hugely passionate about building, growing and leading software engineering teams, promoting cultures that enable people to do their very best work and ensure that they have the opportunity to love doing what they do. Fantastic. Sohan? Hey, Mel. Thanks, Mel. Uh, my name is Sohan Domingo and really thrilled to be part of my second podcast with uh, Mel and Vishal. Um, I currently the and, and the rest of you, of course, uh, I'm currently heading the innovation team in Fujitsu, where I lead the development of uh, cutting edge technology in the field of AI, quantum computing, digital twin and blockchain. So, uh, yeah, I'm currently also working on uh, developing solutions around ChatGPT and OpenAI. Uh, all excited to be part of this uh, podcast today. But in my free time, I spent some time with my boys playing some cricket and actively involved, by the way, in organizing cricket tournaments for the state of New South Wales. So all excited to participate in today's podcast, um, which is creating a healthy culture. Amazing. Ruth? Thanks, Mel. So Ruth Santangelo, I'm an IT director at Optus. There's a couple of hats that I wear, but my main focus areas are really partnering very strongly with our business to understand not only what their business strategy is and how the technology strategy informs that business strategy and supports that. And key to that is ensuring we deliver the technology projects for them to get the best outcomes for our customers. Amazing. Last but not least, Michelle. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, everyone, for your introductions. My name is Vishal Shukla. I go by the name Vish because it's nice and easy. Um, I look after my current piece of work at FISPAC is to do with Head of Data Management and Governance. Um, I lead a team of about 11 data engineers and specialists which work on different kind of problems when it comes to our bank's day-to-day business. Um, in terms of things that I'm passionate about and the way I put my career summary in one place, it's about I'm an engineer at heart. I'm a problem solver by profession and I'm a people leader by popular demand. 
Um, and that's that's something which summarizes in terms of what I do. I really enjoy trying to apply my skills to try to solve problems. Um, I've got a very deep understanding in terms of the tech landscape. Uh, I am a coder still myself, uh, and I lead a team of engineers. When I'm not working, I'm doing my second gig, which I really like, uh, which is around teaching. And that's something that I really love and enjoy. And I'm, I'm thankful to be here again with all of you guys and uh, have a chat about something which is almost ether. It's culture. Absolutely. Let's dive straight into our first question. What does a healthy culture look like? What have you and your team slash organization done to promote a healthy culture? Ricky, we're going to start with you. It's such a such a really good question. Um, the generalization of a healthy culture to to help me identify where to begin, um, and for me, that's an environment where people feel safe and supported. They feel valued in the work that they do, or with the work that they do, or through the work that they do. Um, those individuals are empowered to do their very best work. Um, people feel challenged um, with a certain amount of support and, and comfort to ensure that that challenge isn't you know, something that they feel is beyond them. Um, and something that I'm, I'm really passionate about is, is the fact that people feel like they have opportunities for growth and development within the environment they they, they operate in. Um, like I said, it's 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 pretty broad. And when you first look at the culture within an organization, you you, you may not be privy to information that relates to, to all of those those facets of of culture or what a healthy culture might look like and, and the fact you, you can't always impact all of them you know um i know that my remit is is generally software engineering but in smaller startups and scale-ups where i tend to apply my trade and, and operate i can have a broader impact across the entire organization. Um, it just means that I I have to have that impact through the mechanisms of software engineering and product delivery and outside ways of working. If, if I think about some of the things that I've done in the past to help promote a healthy organization, I think that, like I said, the, the, the passion for growth and development, I, I tend to lean into that space first that's where I can have the most impact and, and and that's where I can I can really start to impart some of the knowledge that I've I've amassed over the over the, the years um and I think you know if we talk about organizations recently um, and even here at shift one of the one of the first things that I I really focused on was was delivering a plan for a career pathway the the framework around that career pathway and the learning pathways associated with it, um, which inevitably leads to individuals within the the at least the engineering organization feeling like they have 
something to work towards. They have goals and aspirations to um, to grow in the role that they have. And, and you know, uh, if, if you think about those leadership opportunities or um, individual contributions where they feel like they're adding value to the work that they do or the, the, the products that we support. Um, it's it's not a not a, a, a straightforward exercise um, and, and requires an awful lot of support from across the business. So in fact, what you do is you 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 start to lean into many areas and departments uh, around the organization. And I, I, I found that with um, you know Gift today. Zip previously and, and other organizations where um, if you think about the startup kind of landscape where organizations are quite flat and career pathways are not the first thing that people do. It's they look at delivering valuable software and, and, and products. Um, so kind of changing some of those those behaviors towards actually it's it's not a bad thing to have have a, a pathway and, and, and talk about those things. Um, and another another key piece of, of influence that I, I tend to try and have in, in the culture is around transparency and communication. If if we're not talking, if we're not sharing ideas and, and, and knowledge, then we're really not promoting the, the healthy culture from, from the beginning. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to know, and I guess this is this is kind of for each of you who are 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 more focused in in those enterprise style or enterprise size organisations. If if those are the kind of areas you can influence and have an impact on, or or how that changes in in um, those different sized and skilled organisations. I guess um, you know just looking around. The room, the virtual room that we're in at the moment, and I'd, I'd love to chuck that to, to Vish if if you'd like to have a go at it. Thanks, Ricky. Uh, that was really insightful, and I really resonate some of the things that you have said. It's it's not a straightforward job for sure. Uh, trying to pick what is healthy culture in itself could have so many nuances and so many variables to think about, which could define something as healthy or not. So I definitely resonate lots of things that you said. Um, in my own role and through my own experience, uh, starting as a developer and being where I am, uh, I think the concept of career and career building has been central to um, what a person actually looks forward to. Yeah. Uh, so there are two or three dimensions that we can uh, sort of zero in on. One is the concept of what is career to people and how do we help them understand what is career to them and help them reach there. Um, there's also the concept of you know uh, a healthy culture is a place where you see issues. Right? More often than not, people think that it's healthy because you don't see anything. Uh, well, that's not true, right? That might be a possibility, but most likely it is not. A healthy culture is where issues are surfaced, where you can see clear divides, where you can where people feel comfortable to bring up what they really think to the table so that they could work out the next step as to how do we make this better. So I think the culture around that, so from a software lifecycle understanding and from that perspective, it's like that continuous integration, continuous deployment thought process, but 
extremely hard to inject and introduce to your people in a way that that's that's helpful then there's the concept of acceptance of failure um and the acknowledgement of failure as a learning experience which again is you not know, key to how a culture could be thought of as good or bad and bringing it back to the very first point around people they've got their jobs their homes their kids their cars their, their animals everything right about them when they come to work or when they're working with you it's a very small subset that you see of them and as a lead as a leader uh, you got to work out the rest of it work out who they are as a person and their concept of career which would be you know built around things like well how safe do they feel in the environment that they work in emotionally physically and also work wise how much hope can we provide them for the future that they have decided for themselves and what's our role in that future and how much satisfaction can we generate through the process so looking at all of these things it's about an open ecosystem where people are encouraged to fail to learn from their mistakes and including as a leader myself i do celebrate my mistakes it's something which is wide open in my team so they feel comfortable about it's okay i can experiment something and uh, well i'm trying to solve a problem it may or may not work sometimes and give them the concept of hope um concept of satisfaction and then slowly work through to you know, take them somewhere else uh man this is such a good discussion um rud do you want, would like to add something would you like to add something Yeah I mean I listening to both of you Vish and Ricky really agree with a lot of what you're saying uh I I also think that having a healthy culture is multifaceted it's like comms and collaboration as well um other things that pop to mind is growth and development exactly like what both of you have spoken about but also having diversity i think is really important to culture so not just gender diversity there's also cultural diversity multigenerational multiability lgbtiq there's a range of diversity um that we look at and we bring into the culture of the organization there's lots of ways to do this and vish what you were saying before about how it's dependent on the people and the team of what is um required what works for the team uh and i often look at getting the feedback from the team of what is important to us from a team aspect and what we want to focus on to develop a healthy culture within our team and then obviously all organizations also look at the organizational culture as well because there's microcultures within the organization often um so the um the company does that from an organizational level as well um with comms and collaboration uh, we have this thing called TJF um where all the all staff has an opportunity to be with and listen to exco directly our executives um from the ceo and all um her direct reports on what is our strategy what are our top priorities so you hear it from the executive and nothing then can get lost in translation from a team perspective we have you know check-ins one-on-ones some people are really um interested in collaboration i think you a vision we're talking about um 
you know, work being a part of somebody's life, but we do spend also a large part of our lives at work. And so it's developing what I call an emotional connection. Um, other people call it networking, um, team bonding, but it's creating that connection with the team. Some people are very into this, some people aren't. So you work out what's right for your team, what level, and work through the team that way. So the team I'm currently in um, and lead, they love having lunch together and doing team events. We celebrate Easter or we celebrated Harmony Day. There's having that diversity in culture and gender brings all these different events and we learn about each other and our lives. And there's a connection beyond just the work we're doing day to day as well. Um, so there, there were a couple of the things that resonated and aligned with what both of you said. Um, which are different aspects of culture that I see um, that makes a workplace have a healthy culture. So, Han, I don't know if you also um, have other thoughts on this area as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Ruth. Uh, it's been a good discussion, and uh, I, I agree with all that uh, that you have said, uh, Ruth, Ricky, and Vishal. Uh, you know, I was just reading an article the other day, and uh, I've written it down over here, I thought I'll, I'll bring this forward. It says the average person will spend around 90,000 hours at work over a lifetime. And that's according to Andrew Neighbor, an industrial organization psychologist. So you can imagine how healthy a culture needs to be in an organization if you're spending 90,000 hours. Now, if you go to a culture in our, or work in an organization where the culture is toxic, 90,000 hours is, man, I don't think I could survive. I mean, die early. But, but in an essence, and a healthy culture within an organization is, is very important. Uh, and I, I look at it from a positive work environment point of view, where employees feel really valued and respected and supported by their leaders. You know, when I put in um, some ideas during a meeting or a conference call, regardless of those ideas or regardless of what my team says, you, you, you need to feel respected and you need to appreciate your team and you need to feel valued. You don't need to say, all right, I'm sitting out here and I if I say something, uh, my boss may not like it. My colleagues may not like it. They may make fun of me. They may think what I said was wrong. That's really not a culture where you can thrive. That's not innovation for me. You see, it took 2000 attempts, but I think I've, I'm, I, I'm repeating myself over here from, from last time's conference uh, podcast that we had, but it's, it's worth mentioning that Edison took 2,000 attempts to, to discover, you know, how to invent the light bulb, tungsten filament. So nothing is wrong. We need to uh, make sure that people are valued and respected uh, in, in an organization. And such a culture promotes employee well-being, by the way, and job satisfaction. So what are we doing in, our, in the organization, especially me as a leader, uh, to promote such a healthy culture, uh, we've implemented several initiatives, and one of that is open communication. So we have graduates joining in, uh, we, we, and we also have senior members who have been in the organizations for 20, 30 years. So we continue encouraging open collaboration and communication, and that's through team meetings. Uh, sometimes we have one-on-one -on -one sessions with the team members, and it nothing, but it creates a platform for employees to share opinions, ideas, feedback, and you take those ideas and your feedback and you improve. Uh, secondly, is we try to bring in a work-life balance, and 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 we do the, that by trying to say if if it's not needed to come to the office, do not come, because you have the lifestyle of Zoom and Teams where you can spend time 
you know, uh, even developing code collaboratively or having meetings. If it's customer meetings, then go ahead and meet up with the customers. But if it's an internal one, try to see if you can do things from home so you have that healthy work-life balance. And I think Ruth touched on this. Uh, I, I try to have an equal balance of men and women in my team. So this really promotes gender div diversity and inclusivity. And you'll be surprised to see that, you know, men and women, uh, though we all are from uh, homo sapiens, human beings, uh, we have different uh, life experiences, uh, world views, uh, our communication styles are different. And so we learn from each other. And by learning from each other, we have a balanced team. And this promotes and ensures wide range of opinions between the team. And, and lastly, is, uh, I think it's important to also celebrate achievement and milestone as a team member. So one person's success is the whole team's success. And by, by recognizing employee accomplishment, achievement, it creates a sense of pride and motivation in your employees. And they work harder. And this turns contribution to success to the overall organization. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring about was uh, I've just been recently reading this book by Tony Hush. It's called Delivering Happiness, A Path to Profits, Passion and Purpose. And uh, Tony was a co-founder of Zappos. Uh, Zappos is a shoe and uh, clothing retailer. And uh, they founded their company through positive ethos. They were guided by four C's, by the way. One is commerce, customer service, company culture, and community. And whenever you would go and talk to an employee of Zappos, everyone would say this is a fabulous company to work for because the culture is just brilliant. And one of the notable quotes of Tony was, for individuals, character is destiny. For organization, culture is destiny. Some fantastic points, really, really good points. Let's move on to our next question. And Vish, I'd like you to kick us off. How do you address aspects of an unhealthy culture? How do you blend a healthy software engineering culture with the culture across the rest of the organization? Mm -hmm. um, unhealthy culture, another ether concept, right? How do you know something's unhealthy? Um, so you got to just, from my perspective, and applying my systems thinking, just looking through and trying to feel the place might work in certain situations, but sometimes it's so hidden that you'll not be able to find about it until you are into the thick of it. And that wrecks havoc when it comes to any kind of software developer, data engineer, or any kind of tech role who are responsible for doing a very specific delivery in the overall chain of work, overall value chain. Um, but I think what defines uh, what are the aspects of unhealthy culture that you'll be able to quickly see is around around body language, um, around the speech tone, around the length of meetings, around the number of people in meetings, around the frequency of meetings. Um, when you see that um, things are you know, coming as a curveball more often than not. And when, as a team or as a as as an organization, we are always working on urgent items. There's there's no consideration for important. Like everyone is just working on something which is urgent. These are the kind of symptoms which speaks to uh, a culture which may not be operating at a level which is conducive to a good environment. So what that does is over a, over a period of time, you'll see that people start feeling disengaged. 
um and i've done experiments around this with, with which we'll probably talk about uh, shortly um to find out what is it that's driving um, attrition what is it that that's driving you know, people being demotivated people slowly sort of moving away from the core uh, piece of work that we have to do uh, but in the context of the software engineering uh, and culture associated with software engineering all of us uh, people have seen stories about you know, when Google came up and then all of Amazon came up and you look at their offices and they were very different to what a traditional office would look like. Like as growing up as a kid, I'm like, hmm, that's very different to what I what I imagine an office would be for my for my for my for my for my parents. Um and you know what that pointed out back in the day, which I couldn't pick back then, it's it's a different tribe, and each tribe has its own culture which they create themselves and then propone it across. So when it comes to software, it's kind of a slightly different um, piece to deal with. And if we unpack that further, it's around what would be a typical software developer or software engineering firm or people who are fairly technical in what they do uh, rely upon on a day-to-day -day basis. They rely on clear, absolute clarity in terms of what is it that they're doing. Almost all of them think that they are working on something which is very real. It's not a strategy pack. It is not something which is uh, which is not something that you can put your hands on. It, it's a piece of code. It's a piece of segment that they're trying to work on and solve a specific problem. They also work on real problems, at least from the perspective of what I've been able to pick over a period of time. Um, and they like, just because of the way their work is, a constant process of learning and unlearning, which requires them to have some creative freedom available to them so that they can experiment and learn from that process. And when it comes to you know, how do you bring a healthy ecosystem, a healthy culture into software, you, you've got to bring the two worlds together in a way that you're creating enough clarity as a leader for your team members to respond to, for the team members to feel, um, feel that their skin is in the game. Um, you've got to make sure that their values are valued as individuals their value that they bring to the value chain in terms of their contribution is acknowledged. Um, and we give them enough space for them to fail fast, learn from it, celebrate their success, and just create it as an ecosystem which can cycle itself over many number of times. And when you see a new joining joining in the team, they'll be able to pick that culture. They'll be able to, culture is contagious by the way. Right? It's, it's a contagious thing. So if you see that the core structure that you've created around team, is positive, it will automatically start affecting and infecting everyone around. And same way, if it's not that great, no matter how good people you throw at it, no matter how much you try, unless you address the core of these variables or these dimensions, it doesn't land well. So that's that's what I thought, think about when it comes to overall as a culture, uh, what drives it, what's unhealthy, what is what could be considered as a you know, working towards healthy kind of a culture. But when you look at the lens of culture, it is also dependent on where you're going to apply it. It varies depending on the kind of tribe of people that you're dealing with. Their work, their nitty-gritty, their skills, and what they bring together as a tribe. So I think you've got to acknowledge the concept of tribe here um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, Sohan, do you, do you have something that you'd like to add to um, or, or contradict or, or add to or build upon in terms of what I'm talking about, that culture is is ether in itself, 
but it has to be adjusted to the tribe that you're dealing with. Absolutely, that's well said. It has to be adjusted to the tribe you're dealing with. Uh, I think uh, what's happening these days is we are not holding people accountable uh, for 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 this unhealthy culture that happens in in organizations. So it's very important sometimes to uh, address this unhealthy culture. Requires holding people accountable for their actions. That doesn't mean you fire them, but you need to hold them accountable for that, right? So uh, uh, I'll give you an example when I joined my organization. This was 18 years ago. I joined as a software developer and, and the company was highly focused on meeting deadlines. You know, during those days, 20 years ago, building code, meeting your deadlines, uh, the project manager would have a nice, pretty looking project plan. So on Domingo to, to provide the code in 20 days, 30 days. And uh, we had to sacrifice uh, well, I was not married, but I still have, was living with my mom and dad. So uh, I, I would say I had to sacrifice long working hours, you know, no work-life balance. And and top it about that, the manager would come and say, poor job. Not only to me, but to the, to the rest of the team. And we really found this very demotivating and demoralizing. And, and, and this made us feel that we were not valued as an employee. And we always ask the question, why was he this way? He, he was so because his boss was like this to him and that boss's boss was the same. So the culture came from top all the way down. And you see, the company also had a culture of blaming individuals where oftentimes if a project failed, they, 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 they would say he or she did a mistake. And that created a culture of fear where employees were really afraid to speak up and share their ideas. So overall, the atmosphere was full of stress, negativity, and, and it basically led to employees turnover, people joining in, moving off, joining in, moving off. But then we had a leader who came over and actually, you know, said it's time we change things and hold people accountable for, 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 for creating such a uh, toxic uh, environment. And, uh, you know, I always say that when gossip goes around, you need to use Socrates', Socrates three-level filter. So basically what Socrates did was once upon a time when his disciple went to him and said, Socrates, there is this gentleman talking ill about you. And so Socrates heard him and said, all right, let me ask you a question. So before listening to what he had to say, he said, I want to test you with three questions. And the first question was, are you absolutely sure what you're going to tell me is true? The disciple then he thought for a moment and he said, in fact, he said, maybe not. I'm not sure whether it's true. So you do not know if everything that he said was true. That's what Socrates said. And he said, well, the disciple admitted and said, no, I don't. Then Socrates asked the second question. He said, is what you're going to tell me good or not? The disciple, he kept quiet. He was thinking and he said, well, evidently, it's not all good about you. In fact, quite the contrary, opposite. He spoke really bad things about you. So then Socrates said, all right, I'll ask you one more question. And that question is, is what you're about to say about my friend going to help me any way or the other? The disciple, he kept quiet and he said, he thought for a while and then he said, he really didn't know if that information was useful or not, or whether it's going to uplift Socrates. So we need to use the Socrates three-level you know, filter. Am I sure what I'm going to say is true? Is what I'm going to say good thing about that person, and will it benefit the person that I'm talking to? 
And if it's not, then just don't talk about it. Otherwise, it's going to create a toxic, unhealthy culture. Uh, well, I would uh, now like to hand over to Ruth. What, what are your thoughts about this, Ruth? Yeah, I'm finding the conversation really, really interesting, uh, especially because we're talking about culture, where the openness and communication, both of you are talking about uh, speaking to people and recognising failures and when things had gone well and when things had gone wrong. I think critical is the open communications because if there's no transparency in open communications, this is not going to breed a healthy culture. Most companies have values and a company vision. What we have here is this thing that we call behaviours too and listening to you about speaking up um, really resonates with me. That's one of the behaviours we have about speaking up. So when you hear things or see things that aren't um, uh, aren't right or aren't part of a healthy culture, it's important to speak up, providing feedback in the moment. So when you things, for example, if somebody wasn't being accountable, have that conversation. It's a courageous conversation. It's something that needs to be talked about in an open, transparent way. We also have this other behaviour that we call listen to learn because you have to listen, not just speak up, but listen to understand different parties. And that's why diversity is so important, I feel, in a healthy culture. I, I love this other thing, Vishal, hearing you talk about um, the software developers and people or engineers um, have some some people having a certain style and being very structured and working on something tangible, wanting to work on something tangible. It's really important to, for everybody to understand the purpose of what we're doing. And we have this behaviour called articulating the implications before acting, because often uh, I think both Sohan and Vishal were talking about deadlines and priorities and everything's urgent. Well, when we have this urgency, if we understand the purpose and we create a culture where everybody understands the purpose and articulates the implications of what they're being asked and what the options of what they may do, so whether that's updating a piece of code or meeting a deadline, there's always options to do it quickly, to make a change or meet a deadline. Um, we can code things in certain ways. We can cut out certain types of testing. There's all There's all options and things that we can do. But what are the implications? of those options to the purpose that we're trying to do. For us, it's our customer that's the centre of everything. So what's the, what, what was our purpose for, for doing this piece of work in the first place, whether it's a project initiative, whether it's a piece of code that um, gets you to launch a product for a, a, a company initiative? What, what is that purpose and what are the implications of what we're doing? And listening to learn and understanding all the different people in the team, whether that's people from software engineering, marketing, sales, and speaking up, listening to them, speaking up. And when we're articulating what we're doing as a team, as individuals, what are the implications of what the decisions we're, we're making or the, the actions that we're taking, I think is, is key um, to culture as well. So, Ricky, I don't know if any of those things resonate with you as well. It'd be interesting to see what you um, think from Shift as well, as perspective. Indeed, with the, I, I really love the concept of, of what you've, you've referred to in terms of those defined 
behaviors that uh, the the interesting aspect of culture is the fact that it relies and relates a lot to people's mindsets and, and their beliefs um, and I think if if we want to address those beliefs and those values and those mindsets the best way to do that is through changing behaviors um, and if, if if I touch on that a little bit um, the if we look at an unhealthy culture where there's low levels of communication, there's next to zero transparency. Um, I think we as we as leaders are relied upon to start demonstrating those those behaviors first and foremost, leading by example, um, identifying advocates and and simply over communicating acknowledging others when they communicate, um, encourage and, um, I guess, reward uh, communication and openness and transparency, make people feel or enable people to feel safe um, and supported when they are sharing opinions. And um, I, I think that's why in, in software engineering, we we embrace the concept of of agile methodologies and the frameworks that we associate with them. Um, in particular, if, if, if I look at Scrum as an example, the, the concept and idea of a retrospective promotes that healthy collaborative way of working and encourages people to share their opinions and ideas and uh, I guess address failures in the sprint so first of all, identifying that we have we have had failures and we didn't quite get there, um, and working through the ideas that will in, will enable the team to actually address those failures, learn from those failures, and do something differently the next time. Um, and I, I think the the second part of that question um, around how we blend software engineering with um, or software engineering culture with. Uh, the rest of the organization is is a really interesting challenge for me in particular because I, I tend to work predominantly with agile teams who have a focus on working collaboratively. But then I look at other departments within an organization and I'll, I'll, I'll hypothetically speaking, I will talk about KPIs that inevitably, you know, lean on individual performance if you think about perhaps a, a sales team where um, individuals are rewarded for selling and performing individually that creates a competitive environment and a competitive culture or or can do and again i'm not saying one is right and the other is wrong but when when you come to brand those two cultures um you have this collaborative nature of agile ways of working and supporting each other and sharing ideas versus this concept of KPI-driven individual performance in a competitive way. And I, I've, I don't think I have a, a solution to that particular dilemma, but what I do lean on quite a lot is um, the concept of OKRs. And those OKRs, represent the objective that the entire business or the entire 
department or team or cross-functional teams are working towards and the, the key results that everyone is accepting that they are responsible for having an impact on. So I, I, I tend to lean more towards OKRs than, than KPIs to, to help address some of those, those um, uh, clash of, of cultures. Um, Ruth, I think, I think you wanted to, to add to the, to the concept a little bit. Yeah, I just love what you were saying about the sales teams and the, you know, and software engineering teams can be quite different and have what what I called before microcultures. Because um, one of the ways what triggered what you said there about, well, how do you get them to work together? Because it's quite different, right? Um, mm. When sales teams get rewards and recognition, they sometimes are rewarded in different ways. And how do... Um, a team, perhaps, say, software engineering, work with that culture. Um, what I've found um, works for me sometimes and has in the past is to take it from their point of view. So if sales teams are used to selling, when we talk to them, if we talk in their language, in their speak, so rather than in um, our way, which might be more structured and focused on the outcomes and the, you know, the items and tasks and details that we're doing, that perhaps I'm not, I'm trying not to generalize here because not every software engineer is like that, but it could be that that's a certain style we have where, um, you know, I manage a large project management team. It's all about milestones and actions and decisions where salespeople, what I tell my project managers is, we'll maybe put it in more their speak, in a sales speak and sell the idea to them and, and maybe don't go through, through the details have them and I find sometimes the best way of um if you want to change that culture in the team is by demonstrating it yourself so what I'll often do is take them with me and do that and demonstrate it and show them how it can be done and look um Vishal you were saying um sometimes before you fail and talk about your failures I actually live mine out in real life with the team because I'm leading by example and actually doing it with them and going okay sometimes this works see that worked this time it didn't. Let's change tack. How do you go? Okay, we'll go back now because if it didn't work, we're not going to give up. We're going to go back and try a different way. So they're learning in the moment with me um, as we go and then I leave it to them to do next time so that they have an opportunity to look and be there in a safe way, um, watching me succeed or fail or um, and then they get a chance to do it themselves. And then slowly you find, or I found, that the culture does start to change because if people see these successes and failures and watch how you deal with them they also learn and deal through experimentation through doing it um and it's fun because you know uh you, you you're on the journey together um for that change and i found that's one of the things that worked so that's that's what i was thinking when you mentioned that um ricky about that because i have seen that before it's like two teams can almost speak a different language you know finance is different from sales is different from technology teams it's a really interesting, I find it really interesting to to deal with these sort of um, things along the way of just general work. Absolutely. And Ruth, you're doing so well. I would love for you to kick off the next and final question. So our last question today will be, how do we transition into culture and how do we measure the transition of culture? 
Well, I think, I mean, that does lead into what I was saying before, you know, making it, the transition, I feel, is making it a shared journey that you go on together as a team and as an organisation. So as an organisation, I think having those behaviours is a great way to transition the culture in a positive way, um, listening to learn, speaking up. We have this other great behaviour called tofu, take ownership and follow up. And the whole organisation absolutely loved it and everybody was tofuing actions and items. So um, it is about accountability at the end of the day, having accountability and taking it forward and making sure things get done, but just changing the way they spoke about it and calling it tofu and going, I'll tell you, you know, people would put their hand up to tofu actions and leaders would demonstrate that by doing that first. Cause at first people are not sure, what does this mean? How do I do it? Um, is it a food that I eat? And um, it was demonstrated and led by example. And before we knew it, everybody was wanting to tofu everything and tofuing everything, coming back with examples of tofu. Um, there's also lots of ways to measure that because there's some things that are tangible and some things that are intangible. So, look, many companies, other companies I've worked for as well as including Optus, um, measure um, culture and engagement of employees through um, your voice surveys where you do a company survey and measure what the engagement is. There's ways to measure diversity and having um OKRs, KPIs, things like that. I also find, um, you know, you can measure and set your team um, things like, do we want to have one event a month, uh, things like that. So there's lots of ways to measure depending on what you are trying to measure. If you were trying to measure um, before, I think both Ricky and um, Vishal were talking about growth and development. So one way could be to track development plans and how many people do have a development plan, how many people have progressed their development plan and having those sort of um, tracking me mechanisms or KPIs or indicators. Uh, and there's other things that are leading or lagging indicators of if things are um, progressing in growth and development, if that was a particular era, like um, how many promotions do you have? How much diversity do you have in the team? So there's lots of different ways to measure depending on what you're, you're trying to focus on. Um, so it is a, a favourite topic of mine. Um, I'm a great advocate for women in STEM. So I, I look at diversity in science, technology, engineering and maths and um, I do that within the company and externally because it's something I just feel really passionate about and involving people on that journey, other people who are passionate, is a, a great way to get that momentum up and running. Vishal, I see you've got uh, your hand up there as well to want to add something. Cool. Um, I guess, you know, I honestly got excited, Ruth, when it came to uh, when you spoke about transitioning of culture. And I got even more excited when you talked about something which is really close to my heart around how do we measure that transition. Um, I cannot help but look at things in a way that we could solve them using what we know about of the entire universe of knowledge that we've got. Now, I've heard about Voice Plus surveys being run. We, uh, as an organization, we've run it as well. There used to be other kind of surveys which were run in other organizations that I've worked with. And almost all of them give you an indication of what's happening to get, get a pulse of what's happening in the organization. And then it just from that point onwards. Um, I think goals, personal goals, development goals, all of them, embedding them into the way people work on a day-to-day -day basis is also a good way to involve them and make it a holistic picture about what the people are. Um, but one of our observations around measurement of culture was that going by, by a survey route 
it's almost always not accurate, but it cannot be because it's still a survey, right? Works on a sample. And your sample set may move over a period of time as your culture transitions, right? So if you might be really good and then some good people leave or some people leave, and then the culture is already in transition. You do another survey on a different sample and you might find something completely else. Now, it usually doesn't happen if we if we do it in the right way, if the sampling methods are not appropriate and things happen. But I'm, I'm a great fan of going holistic in that way. And something that I wanted to share with all of you is, as an organization, we did try trying to use graph theory um, and the concepts around network analysis and graph theory to apply to culture and see what is it that we can learn from it. Um, and it was fairly interesting because basically survey is not equal to you know, looking at graph theory because with graph theory, you look at everyone. We're not sampling people in or out. We are looking, we're not running samples. We're just running it for everyone. And that kind of gave us an insight, which was far beyond anything else, to try to look at the transition of the culture and measuring it in a way which was uh, which was more quantitative than qualitative and then allowed us to have one more lens on top on culture. And that's something that we experimented with it was really, really helpful. I'm, I'm keen to know if uh, if anyone else has been on that journey or has other ways to look at culture outside of surveying. Um, this is an open question to uh, Ricky, uh, Ruth, Sohan, any of you? I, I think I, I love the I love the way you're you're attempting to address the, the concept of, of measuring um that transition into into culture fish um the application of graph theory you know we're all we're all focused on engineering and solving problems with with engineering solutions and and why not you know it's 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 where we spend a lot of our time and um the 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 challenge that i often find is that any of these measures and metrics out of context can be really misleading. Um, so I think truthfully it's it's a combination of of all of the data points that we can collect along the way. And, and I, if if I put to another point kind of just from the, the question itself and, and the language within the question, we're talking about a transition of culture uh, or a transition into culture rather than a transformation of culture, which is probably considered more extreme. Um, I think I've, I've probably been involved in in both uh, in different organisations, but um, the the fact that we're talking about a transition is accepting of the fact that it's it's a journey. It's something that we we step through over longer periods of time. It doesn't happen overnight. The 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 fact that we have um, or we we change behaviours to impact the culture and you know, in part, or I guess work through atomic changes, um, means that it's probably something we can measure over time, but we won't necessarily have a, a huge impact evident from you know, week one, week two. Um, so it's it's kind of that empirical data becomes really important to us to to understand first of all the the outcomes that we were trying to achieve with respect to the the organization and the and the people within the organization or the people within those 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 tribes in in the language that you used earlier vish um how how do we represent and measure the success of a transition into culture um i guess the 
the challenge for me is that I've always found measuring behaviors as the the obvious thing to do. For instance, we um, we want to encourage knowledge sharing. So I measure, for instance, the number of knowledge sharing sessions that we as a team have hosted or participated in over a period of time. And um, for me, if if that number is is going up or you know static at a, a level that that demonstrates success, then it's it we're winning. But at the same time, out of context, it, it means nothing. It's we all had a good time sharing knowledge, great. So what does it mean in terms of the outcomes? Are people communicating more more freely and openly and frequently? Are we actually seeing growth and development in in individuals that, you know, Ruth, you touched, I guess, on the do people have growth and development plans? And, and I think it's it's a great measurement. Um, it, it'll certainly help our, our people leaders ensure that they're working towards the right kind of outcomes. But how do we then measure the outcomes themselves? Are people actually growing and developing new skills? Um, which has always been, been a, a, a tough aspect for me to measure. Um, I don't know. I, I realise we're we're a little short on time, um, so I wanted to flick it over to you, Sohan, um, to, to share your thoughts. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you you all of you covered and touched on quite a lot of key points, and uh, you know, the challenge I find basically is measuring, you know, the success of a culture change, and having this culture change in an organisation is a multifaceted approach. It starts with the leadership team. But you can't always say it's a leadership, it's a leadership team that needs to bring that change in culture. Yes, it starts with them, but it's also the team and the employees under them. And and what is basically good culture? If if I have to define good culture, for me as an individual would be, I'm happy at work. I'm happy getting up in the morning, going and meeting my colleagues, beat software engineering teams, sales, marketing, doesn't matter. I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm also at peace. Can we measure happiness and peace? That's the first question. You see, uh, and yes, maybe possibly we can through surveys, satisfaction surveys. And we have been doing that a fair bit with the organization currently I'm working. And this is, are you happy with your colleague next or your next door neighbor? Yes or no, one to 10. Uh, but you know, those answers sometimes are answered at that period of time. And the next day the employee comes over and says, Man, I'm unhappy again. Things are not working the way it is. So, so I think an open collaboration, open communication is very important in an org- in an organization when you're trying to change from a toxic environment to a to a culture filled with happiness and peace. Because at the end, we human beings strive to be happy and peaceful, be at work or be with your family. So fostering open communication where you as an employee feel comfortable sharing your thoughts and ideas to your leadership team, to, to, your, to your colleagues, uh, that will bring in some change in, in a culture which was previously toxic to a culture that's more of a positive environment. We also need to encourage learning and growth. And I do that with my team because every time we put in KPIs or OKRs, like you said, uh, Ricky, uh, we 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 say what is it for the company, but we tend to forget what is it for the person. And everyone working in an organization wants to see that they want to grow, they want to 
be a leader one day. They want to lead an organization. Some of them may just say, I, I want to do more of innovation rather than sales. So providing them a pathway of, of growth in their career, and that could be giving them extra courses to learn new skills, grow professionally, uh, and also promote joy and well-being in an individual. And I'd just like to summarize at the end, complete it by saying that we all, whenever someone's successful, that success also should be related to us. We join in that success. So there can't be any jealousy or, you know, cutthroat competition. We all work for one organization. It's a big beast with different uh, uh, mechanical uh, devices, just like an engine, you know. So one person's success should be everyone else's success. And that's how gradually you'll change the culture within an organization which once upon a time was toxic, but is ready now to go on a way of positive growth and, and sound accomplishments in the future. Fantastic, guys. I'd like to thank all my guests today for jumping on to the Evolution Exchange.